are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. Welcome to the Thursday edition on Locked On Seahawks. I am your host for the day, your substitute teacher, if you will, <laughs> Nick Lee. But please try to keep those spitballs and paper wads to yourselves. I'm doing my best here. <laughs> it's a bye week. Time to take a breath, enjoy some other football games, college, NFL, or even cracking hockey. Or just a cup of coffee while you're inside hiding from this crazy wet week up here in the Pacific Northwest. However you choose to spend the bye week, thank you for tuning in. Let's get rolling. This episode of Lockdown Seahawks is brought to you by McDonald's proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. It's always been there for me. I love long road trips. I actually grew up driving from San Diego, California to Spokane, Washington every Christmas for family. I currently travel a lot for work as well, and a reliable source of food on the road has always been those golden arches of McDonald's. I love me a Big Mac, some fries, and washing it down with a high sea orange lava burst. Thanks, McDonald's. I'm loving it. Thanks for making Lockdown Seahawks your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We want to make sure you are the smartest Seahawks fans in the room. Once again, thanks for listening. Now for your lead story here on Lockdown Seahawks. Bye weeks are a time for reflection and reassessment, some self-scouting, and to take a breath, and an EKG if you're a Seahawks fan, maybe. Whew, yeah, it's been a crazy eight weeks. And there's there's a concerning trend in Seattle that I want to address of the top of their top draft picks busting out and becoming utterly useless. That's been a trend um, in recent years. That The trade deadline came and went, and 2019 29th overall pick LJ Collier remains on the team. Not strictly talking first round this year, but the top two rounds, the first pick of the draft, whether that's the first or second round here. And Seattle has struggled to get consistent value in those picks. And and it's a good thing they don't have a first round pick until 2023. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Jamal Adams. And as Corbin and Rob discussed on Tuesday, LJ Collier has been an utter disappointment. and, And he's fallen behind in the depth chart, clearly fallen out of favor with the coaching staff. And Seattle couldn't coax draft picks out of teams for his services in the, during the, the before the trade deadline. So what is happening? What is going on to, in the front office with evaluation? And the Seahawks have consistently swung and missed at top at, at the first two rounds of the draft. And it goes back to 2017. Malik McDowell, the second rounder out of Michigan State, never played a down for Seattle after an unfortunate ATV accident. Now. I'm not trying to hold this against John Schneider and company since this wasn't technically an issue of talent evaluation and future projections for the player himself. It was pretty much knowing whether or not you are drafting a player who would make poor decisions off the field. And that's something that's nearly impossible to predict, really. And uh, still no, and still he didn't have any production in Seattle, but good for him on a human level, getting back out there playing 78%, 78% of the Browns, Cleveland Browns snaps against the Steelers last week and notching a sack on there. So good for him to get back out there and come back just from the human element, but really for Seattle, utterly disappointing. And then, of course, you go to 2018, a big sore spot in the body of work in the drafting uh, in the John Schneider era is the Rashad Penny, 27th overall, running back out of San Diego State. 
Now, what hurts here the most, for me at least, is the list of players that went in the next dozen or so picks after Penny. And I know 20, hindsight is always 2020, and you know there there were certain needs at the time that weren't necessarily there. You know, or that there were certain team needs there then that maybe are more glaring now, or weren't, or weren't there now, or excuse me, weren't there then team needs that are there now. It's easier to, to point out stuff, but just listing some players that that were available that were picked a few picks later after Penny. Terrell Edmonds, a solid starting safety for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then as far as running backs go, if you want to directly compare to Rashad Penny, Sony Michelle went to New England and then then promptly had back-to-back 900-plus rushing yard seasons to open his career. And then, of course, Nick Chubb for the Browns. Two Pro Bowls, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons in 2019 and 2020. Trying to get back into the swing of things this year, but very solid running back. In fact, I would argue one of the better running backs in the National Football League. Went just a little bit after Rashad Penny. And now, if if Nick Chubb plays behind Seattle's offensive line and Seattle's scheme, does he make two Pro Bowls? Does he get all those 1,000 yards? Maybe not, but it still hurts. And then you have guys like Will Hernandez, a four-year starter at left guard for the New York Giants. He's been he's been up and down, but a, a solid, steady presence there on the offensive line. And then Darius Leonard, tw- 2018 Defensive Rookie of the Year for the, for the Indianapolis Colts. And another running back as well, Ronald Jones, had a 900-yard, seven-touchdown season for the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks last year. So all those guys went were that were on the board when Penny was on, on when Penny was taken by Seattle and and meanwhile Penny can't stay on the field and when he does he really isn't producing I think he's at less than two yards per carry in his limited time in 2021 honestly he's entered CJ Procise levels of unreliability and now f- cards on the table I'm a San Diego guy I'm not a San Diego State fan I'm a BYU fan so there's some conflict there but I'm a San Diego guy I have my finger on the pulse of San Diego sports. And this hurts to say, it's it's tough because he showed no signs of durability issues with the Aztecs of San Diego State. He was one of the most prolific running backs in college football history for San Diego State. He set SDSU's single-season touchdown record, a school that had some dude named Marshall Falk come out of it. So, I mean, he, he was up there on the upper echelon of, of historic college football running back so that from a production and durability standpoint you didn't see any red flags but unfortunately just has not come together in the professional ranks and it sucks I mean, maybe it's one of those classic you know need for change of scenery uh for Rashad Penny I imagine that he's going to get that next year that that would be my guess and then moving to 2019 LJ Collier as mentioned uh, uh Corbin and Rob were discussing on Tuesday uh, another painful one to review on who came directly after um, Collier's pick some solid offensive linemen like Caleb McGarry, Pro Bowler Elton Jenkins, the center from uh, to the Green Bay Packers came soon after that. Boy, the Seahawks can sure use a Pro Bowl uh, center, and of course Debo, Debo Samuel. I know the Seahawks have DK Metcalf, which I, I do as much as we want to rail on the Seahawks for for top draft picks. DK Metcalf has been a revelation. He's been he's been fantastic and better than I even could have hoped so far in his NFL career. So I will give them credit there. But Debo Samuel, imagine Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf on the same team. Uh, one can dream, I guess, if you want to play Madden, go ahead and do that. Uh, meanwhile, Collier has played in just two of the eight games this year. 39 total defensive snaps all year, zero sacks, zero tackles for loss. And in 2020, there is hope for Jordan Brooks. But at the moment, 
at least in pass coverage, I know he's kind of a one-sided running back, or running back, linebacker. He's got, he's he's very skilled against the run. He's athletic as heck. I like his upside there, but at the moment, against 37 targets in the pass game, he's allowing 112.4 passer rating. So we knew there was, it, it was a bit of a weakness with him coming out of college at Texas Tech, the pass coverage, and it has come to pass. <laughs> now, pardon the pun there. Um, in the NFL, but there's there's still hope for him. And of course, D. Eskridge, TBD, jury's still out. He got popped pretty good in game one against the Colts with a concussion. Haven't seen him since, but it looks like there's some optimism that he'll play um, post-bye. And boy, they could sure use him against the likes of the Packers and the Cardinals coming up and Russell Wilson hopefully coming back, getting another target like D. Eskridge, who I think could be a very solid third receiver here on this team if he can just stay on the field. So not a great trend. And, you know, to, to think that their best draft, their best first round draft pick since winning the Super Bowl in 2013 has been Jermaine Effetti in 2016. Uh, that's rough to say because we see, I know how Seahawks fans feel about Jermaine Effetti. So, um, it, it's, it is a concerning trend and, you know, with the Seahawks having some limited draft capital ne- this coming draft, at least in the first round, um, you really, you got to start turning up the heat on the front office. You got to start hitting on some of these picks. Otherwise you might lose Russell Wilson. I mean, you might, you might lose his, his desire to be here if you consistently lack, uh, the, the drafting or you, you consistently miss in, in hitting in the early in the draft especially when other teams around you are flourishing with draft picks that came just a few picks after you made a terrible pick that's also not a great look now coming up in the second quarter we will discuss uh, we'll have a mailbag actually we'll have a mailbag thank you for sending in your questions and we'll be right back this episode of locked on seahawks is brought to you by mcdonald's proudly serving communities since 1965 McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates or competitors, the away team or the home team, can come to recharge. It's the place where you can always look forward to stopping on a long road trip and rest your legs and refuel. And boy, when I was growing up, we would drive from San Diego, California to Spokane, Washington every Christmas to visit family. And I currently go on a lot of long road trips now for work. McDonald's is always a reliable source of food. Always look forward to my Big Mac with fries, washing it down with a high C lava burst drink. Delicious. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. Did somebody say Locked On Seahawks watch party? McDonald's, I'm loving it. Hey Seahawks fans, this is Nick Lee with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code TOUCHDOWN, that's T-O-U-C-H-D-O-W-N, and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card from Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Welcome back to Locked On Seahawks. I am your solo host for the day, Nick Lee. It's mail time. A little Blue's Clues reference for you fellow 90s kids out there. 
we love hearing from you guys, seriously. Out there on social media, on Twitter, is where I got these questions. And, and Seahawks fans are always a passionate and knowledgeable bunch, and I respect you for that, and I appreciate that. So what do you got for me today? Let's break down some questions here. So, our first question, and I actually did get a lot of questions about some similar things, so I apologize if I didn't, if I don't actually read your specific question. There's a few common themes. And the first one from Dane Mosier at underscore Daner asks, a possibility of a Deshaun Jackson signing in Seattle? Well, you know, I've always been a fan of DJX. I grew up with an Eagles fan dad in the house, actually, a native Philly man himself. He drilled the Eagles into me pretty good when I was younger. I actually have a Deshaun Jackson Eagles jersey from 2009. The dude was electric for them. I mean, that was just so fun to watch. And I think he still has a few bullets left in the holster, which we've seen firsthand against the Seahawks this year with the Rams. And I sure would love to watch him torch someone else for a change. He had that 68-yard bomb against the Seahawks, thanks to the connection with Matt Stafford. I mean, he's averaging a Madden-like 27.6 yards per reception. That's what happens when you only have eight catches, but two of them are for 75 and 68 yards. I don't see it happening, though. Um, receiver isn't a major need with guys, you know, like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, and you'd like to think that D. Eskridge will come back at some point here in the next few weeks, and, and Freddie Swain, I think, is coming into his own as a decent third or fourth option. And maybe if Geno Smith was playing further into the season, I would do it just to give him a more comfortable bevy of weapons to lift the team around him. But if Seattle misses the playoffs this year, it won't be because they didn't sign Deshaun Jackson. No disrespect. Um, it's always possible, but I just I deem it unlikely. And now, number two, Seattle Zombie tweets. The number of wins the Seahawks will have this season, assuming Russ is back, and do they make the playoffs? So he wants uh, the Seattle Zombie wants to give me the number of wants me to give you all you all the number of wins the Seahawks will have, assuming Russ is healthy. So assuming we get a fully healthy Russell Wilson back for the remainder of the year, starting against the Green Bay Packers next weekend, I'm going to say the Seahawks finish nine and eight with nine wins, and that would mean finishing six and three, which is pretty solid considering the schedule. I'll, I'll dive into this a bit more later. but And do they make the playoffs at 9-8? and eight? That's that's the ultimate question. That's a tough one. I'm not entirely sure it's in in their control at that point. If you go 9-8, and eight, you're kind of leaving your playoff hopes up, up to a little bit of chaos in front of you. Right now, the 4-4 four and four Panthers, Carolina Panthers, currently occupy the last NFC wildcard spot. So not out of the question that a team hovering around 500 gets that last NFC wildcard spot. And I'm calling my shot. I think they get in at 9-8. and eight. And by the skin of their teeth, a 9-8 and eight team can absolutely make the playoffs with that extra wildcard spot and the carnage that it has been the NFC below the top three or four teams. And don't forget, the 8-8 eight and eight Bears made the playoffs last year thanks to that third wildcard spot. Now, I'll dive into that a bit later. Dara Mar at Mars Bar on Twitter. With Chris Carson's injury trouble and the backups not up to par, should the Seahawks look into a new RB1 through free agency or the draft? And that, that's a really good question, and that's I'm sure that's a question that's become louder and louder as the season draws on and Chris Carson's uh, perhaps career is, I'm not sure, I'm not going to say it's in jeopardy, but it, it's been, you know, with, with a neck injury, that is something that uh, is, is of, of concern, and I'm not going to call that his career's you know, going to be over by any stretch, but it's certainly something to, to look into. And I know Chris Carson just barely signed a two-year extension, but certainly in the NFL that can be voidable and, and they can cut him. But for me, if they draft a running back, it better not be before the third round. <laughs> I think uh, I just went on a rant about Rashad Penny. He ruined that for me. What a colossal disappointment. 
While I'm not yet in the camp of, quote, running backs don't matter, those analytics guys, I am leaning towards rushing success having more to do with a solid scheme and a solid uh, offensive line more so than a, a solid running back. Now, of course, there are exceptions to the rule, like Derrick Henry. <laughs> he is a very much an exception to the rule. Um, so picking up a cheap veteran running back might do the trick. Look no further than the Atlanta Falcons. At Cordero Patterson finally getting used as he should have been used years ago. What he's done with the Falcons, 268 rushing yards, which is already a career high for him at age 30. An old friend alert, Mike Davis, 258 yards on the ground for the Falcons this year. Both guys kind of picked up off the scrap heap for the Falcons. So I would lean towards that approach of, of looking at bargain deals with veteran running backs who still have something left in the tank. Uh, maybe not in you know Eddie Lacy scenario, but you know a bit more uh, d diver a deeper dive into uh, what would a solid running back. You know, like a Carlos Hyde, I think could have been last year. Um, and focus, and I think you should focus more on strengthening your offensive line on the higher ends of the draft and the higher ends of free agency more so than a higher end running back at this point. So, um, yeah, it is troubling. I think that if Chris Carson can come back healthy and have a strong finish to the year, he'll probably be back next year, I imagine. But it is troubling. It's absolutely a troubling trend. Now, Shook1 at BrooksDPOY tweets, You think we could trade Wilson to the Eagles for their three first-round picks this year if we miss the playoffs? Whew! That is a... That's a... Ooh, uh, Nelly, that's a hefty price and a smoking hot, you know, take or suggestion. I don't know if that's a take. The question... I mean, the question you phrased it as, could they? And yes, they could. Matthew Stafford went to the Rams for two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and Jared Goff to Detroit. And Jared Goff being a number one overall pick, so essentially three first-round picks and a third-round pick. Russell Wilson would command that maybe more. And, um, you know, Russell Wilson is on par to be... If if every single you know quarterback was on the trade market right now, Russell Wilson would command, I think, one of the better hauls in the entire NFL. And the Eagles are well-equipped with draft firepower that they could make such a trade. They have four picks in the first two rounds, and as you mentioned, three in the first round. Not just three in the first round right now. Currently, with how the you know the trades have set up, they have three picks in the top nine of the draft right now at picks three, eight, and nine. That will change depending on how the, the Colts and the Dolphins finish with, with their seasons. And because the, the the success of that those teams are tied to the where where the Eagles will pick, in in some of those picks, but three draft picks in the first nine picks of the draft, not all first round picks are created equal. It's unlikely that the Eagles will be willing to part with three top nine picks for Russell Wilson. Maybe two of those in a second rounder, or two of those in one of their you know solid players. So to answer the question of could they, yes they could. Do I think they will? No. I, I, that's that's a that's a long shot, but certainly within the realm of possibility. But thank you, thank you for 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 drumming up that conversation again. A sports fan at Metropolis Indu One says, assuming this is the last year for Diggs, Dunlap, Brown, and Wagner, do you draft or trade to fill the void? Does it make sense to build around Wilson, knowing it could take another two to three years to fully rebuild? Now this is a, a loaded question. First of all. Dunlap and Wagner are not technically set to be free agents next year. Um, that would mean cutting them. And for Wagner's sake, that that'd be that'd mean cutting the heart and soul of your defense and your defensive captain and a future Hall of Famer. 
That that'd be a big move, and, and for Dunlap, that I, I could see that happening either way. But and I think Wagner still is playing at a high, a decently high level for you, fresh off of his sixth double-digit tackle game in eight games this year. But for the sake of your question, let's assume they cut Dunlap, and heaven forbid they cut Bobby Wagner, along with the free agency departures you listed. Does it make sense to do a, a near full-scale rebuild around Russell Wilson? Does it make sense to the Seahawks? Yes. Does it make sense to Russell Wilson? Definitely not. I, I'm of the opinion, and I have zero sources in my ear about this, that Wilson wants no part of a full-scale rebuild in Seattle. Which, it, w- it would be pretty much a full-scale rebuild if you're getting rid of guys like uh, Bobby Wagner, for real. And if you don't re-sign guys like Dwayne Brown, Carlos, or uh, Quandre Diggs, and, and the like, that's entering full-scale rebuild status. But another question is, would it be a true full-scale rebuild if you don't trade Russell Wilson? I mean, like like we mentioned above, the draft pick haul you could get for Wilson would be insane. So it's kind of a catch-22. You can't really fully rebuild without trading Russell Wilson. And I can just about guarantee you Russell Wilson would not be happy if he has to endure a full-scale two- to three-year-long rebuild in Seattle. I would... I would venture to guess he would absolutely demand a trade at that point. Again, this is pure speculation. I'm not saying there are sources saying this. This is just gospel according to Nick Lee. I just don't think there's any way he would be a willing participant in a two to three year rebuild of any kind if you were to make those kind of moves. So you got to reload. you got to run it back every year as long as you have number three under center. I, under center. I just think it's it's that simple, really. When we come back, we will talk. I will make some bold predictions for the second half of the year following the bye week. Bet Online is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host for the day. Nick Lee Corbin is out. Let's get bold here. I know it's very original in football media to make bold takes, especially when you're bored on a bye week, but here we go. Let's do it anyway. The imagination runs wild on bye weeks, of course, and I'm going to give you three bold predictions for the second half of the 2021 season. Now, bold is kind of a relative word. What might be bold for others might not be bold for others, but I'm going to try to do my best to make sure that these are are decently bold, but also not impossible. (laughs) So my first one, is uh, the defense becomes above average. I'm not saying they're going to become, you know, a top 10 defense. I think they become maybe a 14th ranked defense, 15th ranked defense, which technically with 32 teams is above average. <laughs> um, you're you're going to start to see stat splits before and after the Rams game, that first Rams game. Right around when Russell Wilson got hurt in that Rams game, the defense started to play better. So when you when you take into account the stats from that Rams game and before that, they were the defense was allowing 25.2 points per game and f- almost 451 yards per game. Since the Rams game, they are allowing 14.3 points per game 
and under 320 yards per game. So that's a difference of 11 points and 130 yards allowed per game. Now, it certainly helps that you're playing the Steelers, the Saints, and the Jags, um, besides, you know, the Rams and the 49ers and, and the other teams ahead of the, the teams that you played earlier in the year. But this defense with this personnel and coaching and scheme, it, it's pretty clear to me that it takes a few games for them to get their sea legs. It happened last year. Last year, they were one of the worst, not just one of the worst defenses in the league. They were trending to be one of the worst defenses of all time. And then they made a, a historic turnaround. And they became one of the better defenses in the league, at least when you look at strictly the last month or two of the season. I don't know if I see that dramatic of a turnaround, but I, I do see things already turning around, like I mentioned. And I just think that this is just a, a type of defense. I don't know if it's the scheme or just the, the coaching staff or the culture. It just takes some time for these guys to connect and click right on defense and start to play at a better, at a higher level. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say that when the 17 games are up, you're gonna look at the second half, the last eight games of the year, and say, you know what, that defense played a lot better. And in fact, they were an above average defense. And really, with the potential this offense has, with a hopefully healthy Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett still playing at a high level, your offensive line hopefully improving. If their defense can just be average, you're probably gonna make the playoffs. I think uh, that's that's maybe a, a secondary bull take there. Um, which is coming later. My second bold take is uh, specifically to a player, Kerry Hyder. I predict, as a bold prediction, Kerry Hyder has the best second half among all the defensive frontmen. Now, Daryl Taylor is the easy MVP amongst the defensive linemen. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and call him the defensive MVP of the entire defense in that first half. I was high on that kid from the jump. But he is starting to get a bit banged up. He got a bit banged up again in the Jags game. But I'm not saying he's going to regress. This is more on... I, I just feel like Kerry Hyder is, is going to break out. He is so close. So Daryl Taylor leads the team with 11 total pressures per pro football reference. And pressures meaning counting sacks, hurries, and quarterback hits. And naturally, he also leads the team with four sacks. Kerry Hyder is actually second on the team with nine pressures. But he has just one half a sack. So with with just two less pressures than Daryl Taylor, he has three and a half less sacks. He's getting there. I think they're going to come. He's getting so close. Against the Steelers, he had a solid 75.1 grade. And he had three pressures alone against the Jaguars. And four pressures against the in, the in the win against the 49ers. I think he's just getting really close. He's just right there, just half a second you know, late. And he's going to break out. And I think he will. And it will be huge. For the Seahawks, especially if Daryl Taylor can maintain his success as well, I think that my first bold take and my second bold take kind of kind of mesh together. I think part of the defensive turnaround could be Kerry Hyder putting up better numbers. I just think he's getting so close to so many big stats that I, I just think that he's right there and it's there for the taking. My final bold take is pretty simple, and I've kind of been hinting at it all show long. The Seahawks make the playoffs. That is my my third and final bold take. And as mentioned, I think with a healthy Russell Wilson, now this is a big, this is an if. If Russell Wilson comes back for the Green Bay game, and especially if a certain quarterback in Green Bay can't make it back because of COVID protocol, I think the Seahawks can split those two games uh, against the Cardinals and the Packers. And again, that third wild card spot is there for is there for the taking. It's a huge development. And remember, like I said, the Bears last year were eight and eight. And they made the playoffs. <laughs> so if the Seahawks go 9-8 and eight this year, 
you'd think that a team right around the same record, especially with some of the chaos that has happened below the top teams in the NFC, I, I think it's there for the taking. It absolutely is. They're only one game behind the Panthers right now at four and four. The, so you you flip flop one game, you have one or two weeks there where things flip flop, and all of a sudden the Seahawks are sitting in a playoff spot. Now I know the the second half. Let's let's flush it out. I know Corbin's going to do this uh, a bit more uh, tomorrow, but Seattle faces a pretty uneven schedule in the last uh, you know nine games of of this uh, of this of the season. They got at Green Bay, and then two games against Arizona, and then at the LA Rams. So that's four games against arguably the top three teams, and certainly in the NFC, but maybe arguably top three teams in the entire NFL. You got four games there against those those three. So that's pretty tough. But on the other hand, you got five games against teams who are combined nine and thirty. Yes, nine and thirty. I'm I'm talking about the Washington football team at two and six, the 49ers at three and four, the Texans at one and seven. The Bears at three and five, and of course the winless 0-8 Detroit Lions. Those are the other teams on the slate. So you go five and zero against those guys, and mix in a win against the big dogs, and boom, you're right back in it, nine and eight. And I think you make the playoffs. I think I honestly think nine and eight would be enough to make that third wild card spot. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not impressive, and that probably doesn't spell you know Super Bowl run, but just get in the dance. I know they're different, but you saw what the Braves did in the World Series. They, they had less wins than the Seattle Mariners. And they got in the dance, and they made it happen. They won the World Series. Just get in the dance. And in football, you just got to win one game at a time. You don't have to win a series. Just get in the dance. And I think the Seahawks, at 9-8, and eight, will get in the dance. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available on all platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at NickLee51. Yes, I do tweet about other things than the Seahawks sometimes. I apologize. I got Seattle cracking fever in the NHL. And of course, my BYU Cougars are playing well. So thanks for tolerating me on Twitter. (laughs) Um, Coming up on Friday on the Lockdown Seahawks, Corbin will rank the remaining nine opponents on the, the Seattle's on Seattle's regular season slate. And also, he will release a midseason stock watch. Thanks for listening today. Go Hawks!